Hi, everyone. My name is Shannon Calder, licensed therapist, and I'm joined by Dr. Kathy Barrett, forensic psychologist. We talk about all topics from a psychological perspective. Welcome to Terror Talk. Hi, everyone. This is Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hi. Hello. Today on the show, we are talking about plastic surgery, psychological pathology. So what we'd like to do is the first segment of today's show, we're going to talk all about before the surgery. So basically what we look at in the psychology of someone who's getting plastic surgery. Um, and well, we're going to go in several different directions with that. And then in the second sec segment, we're going to go into the aftermath, because I think there's a lot of things that people who are considering getting major plastic surgery don't always consider when they do that, mm -hmm. um, when they're talking to their mental health and uh, medical health professionals. And so we'll talk, go into some of the things that we see after you get psych, psych, uh, psych surgery. You okay? No. You're right. <laughs> after you get psych surgery, can you imagine if there was something <laughs> called psych surgery? I know uh, some people who need it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Me right now. Yeah. Um, uh, after plastic surgery. All right. So prior to surgery, I think we, we, we were talking a little bit before the episode, uh, before I pushed the record button about <laughs> psychiatric assessment tools, mm -hmm. um, that are used. There are some is what I figured out in researching this episode there are. and that there wasn't always. No. And some of, some of them have been highly criticized and then others are highly effective, just like all different assessments. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. And, and I know that around like, um, the, ga uh, gastric bypass and all of those, there's mm -hmm. quite a bit. Yes. I, I happen to know. Yeah. I know a little bit about that because an ex, um, supervisor of mine actually worked for Kaiser and, uh, facilitated the groups that people had to do. So if they were considering gastric bypass surgery, it was a requirement one that they lost, I think 10% of their body weight on their own because they want to see that you can maintain it, right. which is standard, I think for most, uh, pre-op procedures. And then they also required that you attend something like a 12 or 13 week group to give you a chance to lose the weight obviously as well and learn about nutrition. There was a nutritionist and her, uh, a therapist and the two of them ran the groups. And so you were being assessed by both the medical piece of it and monitoring your weight loss and mm -hmm. giving tips, right? Like nutritional stuff. And then also a therapist was helping out. There's something called the surgical weight loss psychological screening tool. Mm -hmm. um, that people can take online, okay. which focuses on psychological and behavioral factors that can influence the outcome of bariatric surgery. So it's sort of in line with what you're saying. So the purpose of it is to identify suitable candidates for this kind of surgery. Um, and sure. I would imagine that some of that has to do with, you know, clearly what's going on with this person psychologically um, as well as historically, you know, mm -hmm. and looking, at, I, I don't have the items on here. I know it contains 177 questions. Right. And it's a Likert scale. Okay. Um, it takes about 45 minutes to complete. And as we know, for those of us who administer assessment, self-report, 
is very subjective. So what I mean by that is when you give someone a questionnaire, Mm -hmm. it's a subjective answer, how they see themselves and whether they believe certain things about themselves, which is why these questionnaires are are typically followed up by a clinical interview and an interview with a doctor, like you were saying, but it's, it's a good tool to start with. Yes. And if you some thinking, get some thinking. And then also I think if the doctor, meaning the psychologist, not the medical doctor Mm -hmm. sees any discrepancies, then that's something to talk about. So it's almost like a preparation. I'm, I'm in support of it. Yeah. I think I'm in support of, of assessment in general and, and often, uh, not only are well-vetted, long-term assessments like intelligence testing and personality testing, but but I also just believe in a simple kind of assessments, even if they're not um, fundamentally um, vetted, only because, as long as you're not saying they are, because I think all assessments are great for conversation. Yeah. And, and it's also a, an interesting way it's a softball approach to having them reflect like, and think about what they're doing and having to answer those questions and think about their motives and how they feel about different things and their mood right now. And then a therapist being able to sit with them and talk through that, even if you're not you know, doing it for a court situation or a more formal situation, mm-hmm. it's the ability to just sit with them and say, well, that's really interesting. Let's talk about that. And then just have that really deep conversation about it. Right. And that's where self-report measures are really helpful because, um, and I tell my students this all the time, it's a talking tool. Yeah. It certainly shouldn't be used in isolation to make the decision. But what it does is it gets, like you said, it brings an awareness to the person who's answering the questions as well as to um, the assessor, the therapist, the psychologist, whomever is doing it. And then the conversation starts because a lot of times people who go into these situations don't consider that it's anything more than just this plus this equals this. I get the surgery. I feel better. I'm healthier. And the mind and body are clearly connected. It's sort of why we do the show. Well, and I think that, yeah, absolutely. I think that's why it, and I think it leads into uh, maybe a, a discussion about body dysmorphia mm-hmm. because I think that's, so what, what I read and what I generally see is that one of the things, um, uh, the disclaimer is that plastic surgery isn't inherently negative. We don't no. think it's inherently negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are lots of reasons and lots of types of people that need plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. I think it goes without saying burn victims, et cetera, people who breast cancer. Yes, exactly. M- major uh, accidents where you need plastic surgery. We aren't talking about that. No, um, I'm in support of obviously. And I also just believe in <laughs> choice. So you go, you go and get your surgery. What we're talking about more is that when, when it's probably contraindicated, let's put it that way. Yeah. And when it becomes, not only is it contraindicated, when it becomes someone's source or um, vehicle for feeling good about themselves, right? right? If it's the only thing that they see as basically they're externalizing their happiness. If I get this, it's under this condition that I will feel better about myself. And we all know anyone who works in the 
mental health field or medical field will be able to be completely honest about this, which is that is not how it works. Right. I, and so let's, let's talk about body dysmorphic disorder. Uh, it's a mental health disorder, obviously. And you see something in the mirror that isn't there. I'm just going to put it in that sort of simplistic kind of way. And we often see it represented in television shows or movies as someone who uh, sees themselves as heavier. But it can also be that you see yourself in a very, you know, your face in a very distorted way. Or it could even be like a a scar or something that, and there's a terminology I'm pulling up, um, Mm-hmm. something some notes that I took here that has the actual name of that but it's it's a distortion mm-hmm. it's a distortion um, it's dysmorphic that's what, yeah it's that's dysmorphic or perceived physical anomaly such as a scar body shape or some other personal feature well and we're talking about extreme preoccupation so you know you and I being obsessed with, you know, one ear being lower than the other. And every now and then we make jokes about it or we think about it. Every time we look in the mirror, we kind of see it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about extreme preoccupation. Like spend hours a day looking yeah. at it. And it's a perceived flaw. So it might not even be there. I mean, you're talking about a scar and that's actually there, but then there's an amplification that happens or a perceived flaw as if, you know, I'm 50 pounds overweight and the person really isn't. Right. And so it, it falls within the same family as obsessive compulsive disorder in the sense that there's obsessive thoughts about whatever the, you know, perceived, um, anomaly or perceived, you know, um, flaw is in this person. And then what we're going to talk about today are the compulsive measures that people take, which mean a one surgery is typically not enough. Or even if the doctor says, Hey, you know, the surgery is not necessarily going to fix this a hundred percent. And they go ahead and like you were saying, contraindicative of, of what the doctor even says, and they go ahead and do it. And clearly it doesn't work and they do more and more and more. Well, and prior to the surgery, a lot of times people with body dysmorphic disorder, um, prior to the surgery, but also those who aren't having surgery, but people who have this disorder, they're avoiding social situations. They're, um, they're doing, they're, uh, hiding the the perceived flaws with clothing and makeup and hair and like going really out of their way. I mean, we all, we all, most of us, you know, have a sense of, okay, I'm going to dress this particular way because things aren't perfect. And so we dress around that. We're not talking about that. <laughs> no, we're talking about people who like will literally go um, get really upset if someone takes a picture of them, mm-hmm. they'll avoid events photos they're constantly comparing themselves to others and not again like shannon's saying not like we all do that yes (laughs) but to the point where it's just this common knowledge when you're hanging out with a group of people that this one person is really obsessed and there's these ruminating thoughts they they will talk to you about it they'll make jokes about it but it's ongoing um yeah constantly like uh, comparing constantly right. comparing and so and then you're also going to see highs and lows you're going to see this person incredibly anxious at times they're very depressed um and they're going to be seeking verbal reassurance from you a lot of the time but they're it's 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 the center of their world well and then when it gets to the point where they they often people with body dysmorphia 
if if left untreated and unrecognized, it can get to the point of having pretty severe suicidal behaviors, depression. Right, and we're we're going to talk after the break about some of you know is this sustainable as far as does it really make someone feel better or healthier? I have some statistics okay. I wanted to give. So current plastic surgery statistics. This is due to Dermatology Times, twenty nineteen. So it's recent. American Society of Plastic Surgeon members report they performed more than 17.7 million surgical and minimally invasive aesthetic procedures in the U.S. in 2018. That's nearly 277,000 more cosmetic procedures than in the previous year. It went up that much. Wow. Reconstructive procedures, including breast reconstruction tumor remo- and tumor removal, were down from 5,834,353 in 2017 <laughs> to 5,805,880 in 2018, um, according to the ASPS Annual Plastic Surgery Statistics Report. Okay. From the, so according to these stats... Um, so the boob jobs went down? It looks like the boob jobs and even tumor removal, which, I mean, that's something people can't really control, were down... Um, Maybe they've found more effective, a tangent, but maybe they've found more effective uh, medical procedures. Possibly. Yeah, that, I mean, that sounds right to me because uh, it's not like someone just in 2018, people just said, leave them there. Yeah, no. Um, six, so about 60 grand went down. And then um, the stats, according to ASPC, P, I want to say ASPCA, ESPS. <laughs> not a dog. Um, reveal several body enhancement trends, including spikes in non-invasive fat reduction, surgical breast augmentation, and liposuction liposuction when comparing 2018 to 2017. So more of the cosmetic stuff has, has gone up. Like you were saying, the the medical stuff has maybe gone down because if people don't, if people who have real medical problems don't need it, they'd rather not use it. Yeah. I mean, I, I also know that people will use radiation and all those. Yep. I mean, I don't, you know, yeah. depending on if it's cancer or not. I mean, I'm not a medical doctor, but I imagine there's more effective ways, which is, which is good news. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think there's some complications too, because I know that, uh, there's often the, I don't want to say diagnosis cause it's not a diagnosis, but we find people with, uh, perfectionism is one of the so extreme perfectionism. Some of us who've gone into this field and have <laughs> have graduate degrees have a certain amount of perfectionism mm-hmm. and sort of type A type of work ethic and all of that. We're not talking about that. Um, I think what you might be talking about too is related to the um, even some of the pathological you know forms of that. So OCPD mm-hmm. is highly correlated with people who have compulsive surgeries. Right. So OCPD. um, And I know we've talked about clearly narcissism and some of the other personality disorders, but OCPD would be that perfectionistic Mm -hmm. um, personality trait we're talking about. They also, you know, there's there's just complications to the body dysmorphic disorder. In other words, uh, if you also have depression, if you also have suicidal thoughts, if you also have anxiety or OCPD, Uh, an eating disorder, if you have any of that, those are coupled often. Um, substances, if you're using substances to, self, to self-medicate. to mm-hmm. I, I, I do know, I've known at least one person that had uh, at least a partial part of this, you know, skin picking, picking and plucking and uh, that kind of health issue can also be a part of it. <sighs> there's just a lot that can go. I mean, there's a huge societal pressure I wanted to ask you, actually, as you bring yeah. that up. We live in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. 
shows like Nip Tuck are right. central. I mean, that's where they take place because we are known to be the capital of plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. I think we still are. Yeah, in probably. The Uni- in the United mm-hmm. States. I don't, I don't track it. <laughs> I don't track. I mean, it, we're at least looked at that way because we have some of the best plastic surgeons in the world. Because of the entertainment because industry. Because of the entertainment industry. How much of, if we bring mental health into this, how much of it, is, and I know it's all related to mental health, but how much of it is also sort of keeping up with the Joneses? You know, if all my friends are getting, and I'm, there's nothing wrong with Botox, calm down. I'm using this as an example. She, she told us to calm down. <laughs> relax. If all, <laughs> Shannon, relax. If all of your friends are getting Botox and skin peels and tummy tucks, and you're the one friend in that group that isn't, is it that you have a mental health problem or is it peer pressure? Well, there's cultural pressures and and part of culture is your immediate social circle, right? Mm-hmm. So we have, I mean, there's a piece of this that's, it's multi-layered. So there's the entertainment industry. And then there's those of us who watch media and we watch media and we watch actors and actresses in part because of their attractiveness or because of the way they look. Mm -hmm. And so obviously there's certain parts in movies that don't need a physical attractiveness and are also actually called for. And you know what the entertainment industry calls those people? Character actors. Because if you have an anomaly or a non-balanced face or body, you're a character Mm -hmm. (laughs) as opposed to a person. As opposed to a real person, which it really should be the other way around if you think about it. Yeah, sadly, as opposed to, and forgive me, but when back in the day we used to call them lollipop heads, which were, you know, a lot of times when you meet celebrities in person at a certain age, when they're young and starting out or right at the height of their uh, success, they are very thin and have a very big head because that looks great on screen because those facial features really pop when you're on screen. They, they do. And and living here, I'm sure you have as well. I've oh, yes. run into a lot of them. It's staggering. <clears throat> yeah. you, when you see it in person, it's very... It's, it doesn't look... It doesn't translate like it does on screen. No, it doesn't translate, but it also is... You, you do take a step back because sometimes it's it's very otherworldly. Like the beauty yeah. is amazing. But what I wanted to mention too is that the brain from from hundreds of years ago or what have you, we're hard, hardwired to respond to beauty. I mean, we have... Um, For fa- procreation, right? Yes, yeah. yes. We have facial recognition neurons mm-hmm. and those neurons react to balance and symmetry. Mm-hmm. So... Often, when someone's face is balanced and symmetrical, it's actually quite a plain face. Mm-hmm. But, but it's like it—it's a plain face that makes an amazing backdrop for the makeup and uh, to be huge on that big screen. And it's just like when we talk about models and people who have uh, natural model bodies, and they make jokes about you know it's a good hanger. Because it, it allows them allows um, it allows the designer to put their art on you, and you aren't going to distort their art in any way. Right. It's like it's like you can be a perfect palette. And I think I don't know. There's something in there where we could make an argument for actors with uh, balanced and symmetrical faces, which you know I'm happy to say we are 
we have more variety on screen. Let's just we put do. it that way. There's more representation that we're going in the right direction, but still. Have you noticed though, if there's a trend in a type, I, I've, no, I've paid attention to this for years. When Brad Pitt started to get known for his face, mm -hmm. the industry was finding a lot of men who had the same nose yeah. and the same jawline, mm -hmm. specifically the nose. The nostril size, everything. <laughs> if you really look at it, it's really interesting. I've paid a lot of attention to this. Okay. Music industries do the same thing with the same type of voice, right? Oh, Where yeah. all the labels will all of a sudden find the girl that's 25 but sounds four mm -hmm. and they like Happens that sound. With rock bands too. Yeah. So, but the, it's very specific in the entertainment industry. If you look at the guy from Sons of Anarchy, I know a lot of women are going to yell at me for not knowing his name. I'm Charlie sorry. Hunnam. Yeah. They're, I'm helping you out. Thank I'm the you. women helping you but out. But you knew exactly who I was talking <laughs> of course about. I did. They're, they're all in that. And I understand they're very different. And some people are like, how dare you compare him to Brad Pitt? He's so much hotter. He's not, I, I don't care. I'm looking literally at those certain features that become a trend and people are drawn to. And then we find 10 more guys with that. And then you find the 10 more guys will never be as big as those two, but you'll see them on TV shows and they have that look. Mm -hmm. So we see that a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, looking good has real advantages. It does. So I understand why people are drawn towards plastic surgery, especially in Los Angeles, but I also understand how they're drawn to it in other places too. It has real advantages, not only in the entertainment industry, but literally just getting a job. Yeah, uh, people pay more attention to you if you're dating, good looking. You know, they dating, just, the better looking things. you are, you could be the biggest fuck up, mm -hmm. but they'll give you the time of day. Well, and the thing about it is too, is that you could be this person that is socially anxious, maybe has a comorbid disorder, uh, is depressed, uh, had abusive history, uh, whatever it is, and you're looking good on the outside, and that's your ticket to be in relationship with others mm -hmm. because if you didn't have those physical traits, the things that the other things that I'm mentioning that would, that are more difficult things to suffer through would not, you'd be at home or whatever. Right. You, the, the looking good has advantages and it's, it's like the, it can be a coping skill and it can be something that you use to get into a door, even to plastic surgery that, is, uh, I don't know, I think it shoots you in the foot because then you're not treating the underlying Right, and the other, the other thing I'll say about that too is, it let's say it gets somebody in the door um, simply because how they look, even though they might be dumb as a doornail, right. okay? Doorknob, what the hell's a doornail? A doornail. <laughs> yeah, what the hell is, I must be dumb as a well, doornail. Well, it's dumber than a doornob, it's, perhaps. It's, <laughs> can we rewind that? No. Um, no, so, but the problem with that is, if you're good looking, it's found endearing. Yeah. If you're not good looking, you're just flat out fucking annoying. Well, and I don't know about you, but I've, uh, back in the day, I mean, I dated people that were very good looking. Yep. And I'm not saying that they were not uh, attractive personality wise, because some of them were, but some of them weren't. Yes. And, agreed. And it was, and just like with people who aren't perfect looking, it's like, it's a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. And that the personality, uh, if you're not a narcissist and you're going to want a partner that has 
personality traits that match with yours. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to just be about or compliment you over and time, compliment your personality in some way. Yeah. So I, so, but what we're talking about really is that, and I wa- did want to mention this, is that there's some personality disorders apparently from the research that I was looking at that mm-hmm. are more drawn to, um, let's say, dysfunctional plastic surgery options. Yes. So yeah. the narcissistic person, which mm-hmm. I think is a no-brainer in a way right. because they're looking for perfectionism in themselves uh, and and in the people around them, and histrionic personality mm-hmm. uh, because they're looking to... Seduce the world, I assume. Independent personality is another yeah. one on there. Just the if if imagine if you can use that as leverage because you can't be alone, right? Yeah, the dependent personality is yeah dependent on others, so they would be dependent on others for feedback, validation. validation. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. And you said avoidant. Too, uh, right? I said yeah. So the research showed what. So we have um, what formerly used to be the access to in the DSM four our mm-hmm. diagnostic manual. We don't cluster them the same way now, I don't believe, but the the cluster C, all of the cluster C, which I thought was interesting. So avoidant, dependent, um, and OCPD, which is obsessive compulsive personality disorder, which is different from, but related to obsessive compulsive disorder. Any, Any thoughts about the avoidant personality disorder? What do you think about that being in there? Well, my experience with people who have strict, I'm thinking of a couple of different people in my head of strict avoidant personality disorder, uh, were the type of people that in my therapy room could barely sit through a session. Mm -hmm. So we would, we would work on tolerance to intimacy because that's what a therapeutic relation is. I have a few of those on my caseload right now. Right. So the intimacy meaning, um, just an, uh, looking each other in the eye and talking about vulnerable things is the intimacy I'm Mm -hmm. talking about. And it would be, so we would work on it. So 10 or 15 minutes in, they'd have to take a break. 30 minutes, 45 minutes, you know, there would have to be regular breaks. And it was often because tolerating the reflection Mm -hmm. and tolerating someone really seeing you, Mm -hmm. meaning underneath the skin, is a is a difficult thing for an avoidant I have a client like that right now, and that's the I bring my dog to therapy. You know, mm-hmm. and she's my client's only six, 16, 15, 16, So clearly, she can't be diagnosed with it. But we'll we'll play with Bell like every 10, 15 minutes or mm-hmm. something just to make that break. But mm-hmm. she's incredibly avoidant. She does. She would not be someone who would do something like this. Okay. Um, but that's where I kind of want to hear what, why you think I have some theories, but I, why do you think that somebody like this might be, might gravitate towards a mask? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. A mask. Uh, it's, it's certainly a way to avoid intimacy. It's a way to avoid being seen for who you are. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. I think too, that underlying all personality disorders um, are the, the inadequacies too um and so i don't know if if and because personalities are so it's excuse me personality disorders are oftentimes they overlap that even with an avoidant type of personality there's still um the self-loathing and the, the stuff oh going on yeah that they might feel better yeah i'm guessing fine. the depression that often comes with avoidant yeah uh, personality is maybe part of that and then and um 
I mean, this is quali- quantitative. I mean, qualitative. It's like this is just anecdotal from people I've worked with, but they didn't they didn't go after plastic surgery as a coping strategy. But I could see where there was such self loathing and such powerful self esteem, low self esteem, and so I could see them believing and we're going to get into this after the break i can see them believing that the plastic surgery would give them more self-esteem and so perhaps it was a way to try to to fix themselves 100 percent. and so i actually have a clip right now um there so for those of you who've heard it he's pretty he's pretty famous i i guess for lack of better words but infamous uh, infamous i don't know he's not he's not evil but um he's good as far as I know, uh, he's known as the human Ken doll. He's kind of, he's been all over the place. He's been on so many shows, talk shows. He's been interviewed because he is an interesting individual. Um, I, you want to play that now or I think we should take a break actually. You want to take a break? Yeah. All right. Quick break. And we're going to start with, uh, that. I'll introduce him when we get back. Okay, great. Okay. Perfect. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. While we take a break, go follow us on Instagram at Terror Talk Podcast, Twitter at Talk Terror, or on our Facebook page, Halloween All Year Long. If you prefer email, it's terrortalkpodcast at gmail.com. So reach out. If you like us, you can help us by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, or check out our Patreon page. We upload new episodes every Wednesday and Friday. Keep coming back, but first, stick around for more of our show. Hi, we're back with Terror Talk. So we were talking before the break about um, the more pathological or compulsive forms of plastic surgery and and some of the types of personalities um, associated with these problematic uh, compulsions. And so I wanted to play a clip from a he's he's pretty famous. I don't, I don't really know what pronoun he uses at this point because my understanding is he is in um he is transitioning. Okay. But his and, and I apologize Rodrigo if this is your dead name, but Rodrigo Alves is what he's been known for for years and he is known as the human Kendall. My understanding now is that he is transitioning to being a woman. Okay. Um and before you play the clip here he has had a number uh he when he talks about himself and he'll say this a little bit in the interview how he he described himself as like a a fat kid i think Mm. and never really felt like he was in his the right body and so it's really hard you know i'm not a psychologist so i can't assess how much of this is the transgender piece and i certainly don't want to pathologize that either so but i want i wanted to play this clip to sort of get everyone to hear how he justifies and talks about all he's done to himself over the years. Okay, here we go. But Rodrigo, why? Why? You're a young man. You don't need a facelift. Why do you keep on doing this? Well, you know when you need some work done and look yourself in the mirror? Mm. Most of us try to change ourselves somehow. but I just took to a different level. level. Uh, I just, if I, if I don't like something, mm-hmm. I just go for it. And but Rodriguez, when you, about you it. look in that mirror, 
do you recognize the person you see? I can understand you liking the person sure. or not liking the person you uh -huh. see, but the lad who was born in Brazil, who started out, who moved Correct. over to, to London when he was 20 years of age, who, who is who is the guy in the mirror? Do you recognise? And do you like how he looks now? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, it's a totally different person. Uh, I would say that today, my soul matched to my body. Yes. I will always say that I was born in the wrong body. Yes. So I was very unhappy. I was very depressed, being like that. I was very much bullied because I had boobs. I had. Uh, I was very fat. I have a hormonal dysfunction going to the gym. My body does not change. And though, thanks to plastic surgery, I became the man that I am today. And then I regard myself as a very successful person. Mm. Not and very happy as well. But not only physically, but mentally and spiritually too. Mm. But it's 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 dangerous as well. All these operations that you have, putting yourself under anaesthetic, it can be mm -hmm. very dangerous for you. So why why does it, why do you keep going? Is there a point where you just say, "That's great. I look great now for, for how you want to look." Why do you seem to not be able to stop? Sure. Yeah. Uh, plastic surgery, aesthetic surgery is not dangerous. It all, can be risky, surgery, but not all, dangerous. All same surgery has a risk, it, doesn't it? It is not. It is a not a. It is an elective procedure, right? It, which is only done in health individuals. So, if you have a heart condition, diabetes, or if you are a smoker, you can have problems, right? Are you addicted now? Do you think uh, no that you can can't be addicted stop? to plastic surgery? There's no such a thing. It is. It is painful. It is very expensive, as you can see. I mean, here in the UK, we have the most expensive plastic mm -hmm. surgery in Europe. And you're hoping that the next transformation will be you as a personality, that people will see you in a different way. You hope that people yes. will, will stop looking at your body the way you're looking at your body. But as, as long as you keep on having these procedures, that may not happen. It's, it's a constant maintenance. It's like a MOT of a car. And my intention today, I spend hours on my social network replying to messages and email and trying to help people that are willing to have any surgery in the yeah. form of a static procedure. Uh, I don't encourage people to do what I did. What I encourage people is to better themselves. Better themselves uh, by going to the gym and also studying okay. and uh, to be the best they possibly well, okay. Rodrigo, lovely talking to you. And I hope uh, whatever your ultimate destination and dream is, you get there, my friend. Yeah. I just wanted to correct something, too. She goes by Roddy now. Okay, great. Yeah. And apparently she's had four ribs removed, a cat eye lift, um, some other things. Right. As part of transitioning fully to a woman. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So a couple things. You mentioned this already, which is, you know, um, feeling like, I'm going to use the he, the male pronoun right now because this is when he said it. He, he always felt like he was in the wrong body. And then on the interview, Roddy says, I feel like a totally different person now. And then she also says, you cannot be addicted to plastic surgery. So, yeah. What did you, why did you pick that clip specifically? What did you, I think, uh, I liked the clip because I wanted to hear her talk about, uh, how she, the justification, right. Um, and those specific things. So she is saying certain things that she doesn't realize are loaded. Right. Because when I'm, because I, I see her fully accepting that plastic surgery isn't dangerous. She says it right out. And she also says that 
it's not addictive. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about, if we step back for a second and talk about after the surgeries, so that's what we wanted to talk about in this segment is sort of what happens after you've had a procedure or multiple procedures and some of the things we see. And so what would you characterize that those beliefs, I mean, I see them as belief systems that she's operating within that certainly justify her behavior. It's not that she doesn't really feel them. She does. I have no, is it delusion? Is it uh, body dysmorphia? I think there is delusion and dysmorphia, right? right? So certainly she's also transgendered. And so I want to be sensitive to that. Mm-hmm. It's complicated. Mm-hmm. It's very complicated. And I think that um, there's probably some level of cognitive dissonance and justification in there. And mm-hmm. how does she make sense of something that really, if she were to be able to step back and see more objectively, it's clear that it's obsessive. And is this partially caused by a childhood spent in a body that she didn't believe was the right body? And bullying. Mm-hmm. And bullying. And mm-hmm. uh, it's complicated. And I imagine it's complicated for each person. So what we see after surgery is, is off. So I want to start with the fact that a lot of, I talk about this a lot with people, is expectations. And so much of the time our expectations are what kind of tanks us. Mm-hmm. And so... You have an expectation, okay, so let's say I want to get a nose job and I decide that I'm going to get a nose job and I am I tell the doctor all about how I want it to look, you know. Not Brad Pitt's nose, thank you. But That, w- that wouldn't look so good on no, you. No, I don't know. I don't know. It's a pretty good nose. <laughs> um, <laughs> I pick a nose and I bring pictures in because this is what happens. I've had friends that have had like plastic surgery uh, consultations is what they call them. It's the sales job, basically. And you bring in pictures of what you want it to look like. And so you bring in the pictures of, um, you know, Jennifer Aniston's nose or whatever. And that doctor will tell you what he can and can't do and tell you all about the procedure. And they do these little mock-ups where they put your face in the computer and they show you what it's going to look like afterwards, et cetera. So lots of expectations are set up that you're going to have Jennifer Aniston's nose and, and that Jennifer's Aniston's nose would actually look good on you. Right. <laughs> because not necessarily, because right. you have a different face than Jennifer Aniston. That's right. So unless you're her doppelganger and you just have a little bump on your nose or something, the nose is going to look different on your face. That's right. So after the surgery, uh, because the sometimes, especially with people who have body dysmorphic disorder or any kind of personality disorder, no matter how great the nose looks, not going to be up to snuff, especially also add in perfectionism, not going to look the way it's a fait accompli. It's like, well, it's not going to, you're not, there's a no win. This happened back uh, with Michael Jackson when Diana Ross was the first, was the one who said you need mm-hmm. to get your nose changed. Right. So then he becomes obsessed with this yeah, because he needs to look more white to the point where the doctors are like, you're going to lose it completely. And I think they told Roddy the same thing. If she oh. had one more, um, I don't know if it's rhinoplasty or what at that, what it's called at that point, that she could lose her nose. And if you look at her pictures now, um, av- after she's transitioned, her nose is different again. And it's like, that has to be barely hanging on. Yeah, I think 
I, I believe what happens is there's one nose job and that nose job is maybe successful. It's a nose job and it looks like they agreed and that person's not satisfied. And so they have maybe one, two, three more nose jobs, little zhuzhs to get it the way they want it, right? Mm -hmm. But in that process, more and more and more of the bone and cartilage is shaved away and moved away. And then all of a sudden you have a dysfunctional nose. It's not breathing correctly. It's not She can't breathe very well. They're it's not correctly, you know, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. And then you, then you, um, then you start the corrective surgeries to actually have a working nose. They're not, I mean, they're considered cosmetic now, but you're not making it look like anybody great. You're just trying to breathe. I don't know if you watched any of the rest of that interview, but she talks about how her nose, she like, yeah, they say it right at the beginning or something of her air way is gone. Yeah. The first thing that the interviewers do is say, you had a nose job and your nose sounds stuffed up immediately criticizing her. I was like, yeah. Oh, that's not helpful. Yeah, no. And that's not really helpful. Yeah. They were pretty brutal. They were, yeah. they were, you know, no filter interviewers, journalists, whatever. Um, unfortunately not, not in a sympathetic way, at least the way they were asking questions was why the hell are you doing this? What's your problem type of thing, which mm -hmm. I don't think is the way to go because it's obviously coming from, I mean, you can imagine the childhood and the different thoughts and feelings of someone who has gone through not to me not to mention the medical trauma that she's now gone through. That's right. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, I know we were going to talk about the, the sustainability, the app, aftermath. So mm -hmm. what happens after someone has sure. one or 15 or 50 surgeries? Yeah. Um, so oftentimes mm -hmm. mental health problems actually worsen after cosmetic surgery. And so let's see if I can give you guys a little bit of context to that. So mental health correlations, cosmetic surgery, and psychological issues. This is a Sanson and Sanson. This is 2007, so it's a little bit old. So they talk about in the past seven years. So this would be from you know the turn of the century till 2007. A series of studies have consistently suggested an increased risk of suicide among women who have undergone cosmetic breast augmentation. So cosmetic. Um, I don't know if that includes mastectomies of people who wanted you know, okay um in the only available u.s study britain and colleagues retrospectively examine the risk for completed suicide in a cohort of over thirteen thousand women mm -hmm. um and they talk about who received cosmetic breast augmentation surgery and there's a slightly higher risk just over twice that found in the general population of suicide among women with breast implants so wow. thoughts about that that's incredibly high <laughs> those percentages are incredibly high I can't say I'm surprised, but they're higher than I would think they would be. I think so. The explanation is clearly the you know remains unknown. Some of the theories are previous studies indicate that there may be meaningful differences between women with breast implants and women in the general population who don't feel like they need them. Okay. Um, well, that's wow. Sorry. That was weird. <laughs> Siri like really loves to get into our conversations <laughs> on here. Um, and then they also talk about, uh, 
Let's see. Let me see if I can find this. Women with breast implants have been found to have significantly lower body mass indices and greater likelihoods of cigarette smoking, mm -hmm. induced abortions, fewer live births. And it, it, they go into... So the reason why I'm bringing this up is anytime you do research or you read research, you want to look at correlations, right? So there needs to be... It's clearly not people who have breast implants are at higher risk of suicidality. It's all of these other things that might contribute, these other variables, we would say, that contribute to the type of body and body image and all of that of women who may need breast implants, right. is what they're saying. But they don't really know. I mean, um, they were unable to locate any articles relating breast augmentation patients and access to disorders or personality disorders. So it really remains unknown. These are just theories that they're they're throwing out there. But it's interesting. Yeah, what I noticed about the research that I was reading and preparing for this episode was that there's a there's a lot they don't know. Yeah. That they haven't been doing research on it for very long. And that even the psychiatric tools for assessment aren't quite mm -mm. there. There's a couple of them, but there's all the research is still trying to figure out if they even predict anything. Right, because again, all they have right now is self-report, and that's well, and, limited. Right, and 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 additionally, even if they do get that wired, medical doctors n not most. I I'm going to go out on the limb and say <laughs> most medical doctors don't re don't request a psychiatric evaluation. No, until maybe surgery ten or something. Right. And then they do it as a way to say no to you. They're not actually seeking an understanding. Right. But if we had to do it right out of the, like if a medical doctor said to me, listen, part of the cost of you getting XYZ procedure is that I need you to sit with our psychiatrist and go through a bit of a battery of tests and they're going to get to know you. And we're just going to sort of see because one of the, um, one of the outcomes is that you could have increased mental health issues and I would like that to not happen for you. So, you know, it's not that we're not going to do the procedure, but we may have to delay it because we want to get you the treatment that you need before. Like, that's the way I would I, handle it as a doctor. I but. think that is okay. And I'll tell you why I love this idea. You're brilliant. Oh God. This is why I think this is a great idea because there, there is a lot of, um, there are a lot of ethical issues around a transgender person having to ask permission from a stranger to become the person they've always known they are. So what has been happening is it's either been this all or nothing. They mm -hmm. need a note. They don't need a note. If they need a note, right. that means that someone has to give them permission, which I think is incredibly problematic. Mm -hmm. However, to rule out the very small percentage that there might be people who are moving towards transitioning and there are other things going on, mm -hmm. if you are going to inevitably be able to get that surgery and become the person you have always felt you are, and you are promised that no matter what ends up happening, you will get that, but we want to be able to do it in a way that doesn't create worse problems. My whole master, when I was in my master's, my thesis was on sustainability of sexual reassignment surgery. And all of this stuff came up was it's not that anyone should be in control of whether that person in the end gets what they want. It's as simple as we want to help you find the healthiest 
healthiest healthiest yes. wow path so when you get there it's sustainable yeah mentally my, absolutely i'm in agreement to that obviously but i i think it's an it's about approach and it's about intent i mean my intent if i'm a medical doctor and i give you the spiel i gave you before my intent is to be supportive of what you need and so if this is a transgendered person that we're talking about it's still a similar spiel but it's listen i want this to be extremely successful for you yeah because i i want to be able to assess you and i want uh, not me the medical doctor mm -hmm. but my, i want my person uh, i want cat dr kathy barrett to assess you because <laughs> i'm sure psychologists could do an even better job actually uh assess you work with you and then you know make sure you have the best outcome because we wouldn't want to do this in a situation where you don't have any support afterwards or you have co-occurring disorders that right. we need to work with in order to have this be what you want it to be. Right. And so two things with that, we need a standardized testing tool, right? Mm -hmm. Because we don't have, we don't have a standardized way to assess. And this is a problem. And what I mean by standardized is um, for people who don't know what that means is there needs to be uh, uh, these psychologists or, or evaluators need to have the same methodology rather than just using clinical judgment because clinical judgment shit. It's where it's as good as 50%. It's good as flip of a coin. We need a standardized tool where all clinicians are following a certain set of questions and whatever in conjunction with what you're saying, which is inevitably the person will get what they want. Because what I have seen, and I have uh, uh, several transgender clients who are going in the early phases of getting hormone treatment, uh, there have been doctors who said, no, that's not you and I'm, I'm not supporting this. And they have had to find loopholes by saying, okay, well, you're going to put that down and with your license on it and blah, 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 blah. Mm. They have to basically manipulate, manipulate the system to get they, what they want. So it's all about finding the right um, standardized approach to this so everybody wins. Absolutely. Yeah. And so if you aren't transgendered and what you're looking for is – plastic surgery and you're having your first or second or third plastic surgery, you know, the first few or what have you on different parts of your body. Many people have that. Many people have three to five procedures on their body throughout their lifetime. And you submit to, let's say, psychological testing and you come out with an acceptable, whatever that standardized thing is, you know, you come out with an acceptable amount of neuroses, like we all have, mm -hmm. uh, and you go through the surgery, and then you have, there's an aftercare plan, and that includes mental health, and not just nursing. Right. Uh, or rehab facility, which is often what it is, but that includes counseling, or therapy, or supportive discussions, et cetera, maybe even group, whatever then okay. If you are a person who sits for that psychological testing and you do not happen to have the right kind of, not the right, but you're dealing with some other stuff that make it very difficult to have you have, it make it difficult for us to believe that the surgery is not going to cause major. That you're not ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. And which 
all, all, this whole system that you and I have just developed over the last 30 minutes. <laughs> Here, so here's the stumbling block. You're welcome. No, I'm yeah. just teasing. I'm <laughs> sure we're not the first. <laughs> here's the stumbling block to that is funding. Yep. Because now, now we're not, you know, and cosmetic surgery tends to be for people who are privileged. So hopefully if they can afford that, then they would have to then be open to paying for yeah. mental health. Use. Yeah. And I think that uh, people who are getting plastic surgery should demand it. Gosh darn it. But here's the thing is what we're talking really is also about the other extreme of this, which is somebody who has repeated obsessional surgeries that allow them to distort themselves and the way they look. And then, and not, they're not, not only did they not get assessed for that and that there's doctors doing that to them, which I think in recent years, many, some doctors have been sued for that. I mean, it's starting to mm -hmm. shift a bit, but they're also not getting the supportive aftercare. And so it just keeps happening. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't understand where it stops. Like, I don't know well, and why. Then, and then to throw another wrench in that would be, the question of autonomy, mm -hmm. whose responsibility and at what point are we then controlling that person and well, how much yeah. control, you know, and, and they can find, they can find, they can always find someone to do it mm -hmm. and that's their right. But if more medical doctors, more therapists, more psychiatrists, whatever it is, refuse. Cause I can see people coming up with the same argument and I'm, I'm, these are thoughts, guys. Okay, these are just thoughts. But thinking about if we're looking at how this would have to change, it falls yeah. under the same umbrella of abortion. Mm -hmm. You're telling me what I can and cannot do with my body. I understand how that's the ethical issue here. That doctor has a right to make a decision mm -hmm. on their own because it's their license, et cetera. So mm -hmm. that a doctor, a, a psychiatrist, a, a therapist, we all get to make because it's about boundaries, right? It's my side of the street. So that person seeking a procedure that I don't, I don't support has the right to go elsewhere yep. and I have the right to refuse. So versus some of these laws that would penalize the doctor if they didn't follow. Right. So it gives the doctor the autonomy and inevitably then the patient, the autonomy to go somewhere else. That that's my belief. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. that's, that's kind of where my belief system yeah. is. I don't know the laws. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I don't know any of that, but my belief system tells me I have the right to refuse to subject my um, license or because my ethical standards. Let's say it goes wrong. They're going to come back and sue you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what happens. So I, I have, it's just like with a client, if I say to them, you know, my, I have to say to them, my specialty is not um, X, Y, Z, whatever it is, well, you know, I don't, I do not have a specialty in this and I want you to know that right out of the gate. And I'm going to document that I'm saying that I would, I would love to sit with you and help you through your issues. However, this is a special, the, what you're asking is for a specialty. It's like when people talk about, you know, I'm, I don't specialize in personality disorders or something and they're, and they say, I'm sorry, I can't treat you. Right. And that's their right. So I don't know. It's it's disturbing. It's a it's because I really feel for 
I just look and I see uh, it's not just what I'm looking at. It's more what I feel when I hear uh, her talk or, mm -hmm. or anyone talk or it, uh, it's just so painful. Mm -hmm. It must be so painful to be inside. Mm -hmm. And thinking that all of this stuff can turn around the inside. Yeah. Yeah. And that there wasn't anybody and, and maybe there was just no willingness on her part, but maybe she does. Maybe she has a therapist. We don't know. We're, we're absolutely just theorizing, but uh, it makes it look like there wasn't anybody that was talking to her and, and, and helping her. But. Exactly. And I, the last thing I'll say to that too, is um, what I kept hearing in her voice and why I chose this clip was mm -hmm. it was like, this was the only hope to her happiness. Yeah. And that makes me sad. It does seem sad. I know that she wouldn't want us to feel sad for her. Mm -hmm. I know that she feels she's doing what she needs to do. Mm -hmm. And so, again, like we were talking about, her right. Uh, and we're just talking about other people probably. I mean, I have a couple of people in my head that mm -hmm. I'm thinking about as we talk about this. And, and they were sad, mm. you know, and they mm -hmm. were uh traumatized and having a very difficult time and you're just trying to find the magic pill and that's what people are looking for when they take Prozac that's what people are looking for when they take certain different kinds of things uh, diet pills whatever yeah. it is without therapy without without yes exactly Can, and I just want to say one thing too because I want to be very clear about this I have transgender clients what I, what we are talking about today is not I don't want anyone to get the impression that someone could be making a mistake if they're transgender and they're cause I, I've sat down with friends of mine who have been through sexual reassignment surgery and all of them will say I have no regrets. So this is not about the transgender piece. Um, even though we talked quite a bit about that, <laughs> we did. And that's why I want to make a distinction here is I don't ever question if someone comes to me and tells me that that is who they are and that is how they feel that's not what we're talking about mm -hmm. because I I am in no place to ever decide for someone else. And that's why I sort of brought that up about the doctors and the way that they, you know, a lot of transgender people have to ask permission. And I think that's awful. Mm -hmm. What we're talking about is how do we get someone to get to that place in the healthiest way so it remains sustainable, sustainable mentally not just physically, because there are a lot of things involved with transitioning, including this ugly fucking world we live in. And if you don't pass or you don't pass enough or your voice doesn't drop enough and you are still misgendered over the phone, these are things that need to be discussed. Mm -hmm. So I don't want anyone listening to think that we're suggesting um, you may not be transgender. That is not the message here. Um, but I want to be clear about that because I know that there are a lot of people out there who still believe that people just really don't know. Right. And so I just wanted to be clear about that. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, I'm clear. I you're you're I'm, always clear. <laughs> I hope everyone else is clear too, that our, that our thought process is genuine. We're going to take a break and come back with our what the hell segment. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. We're back with our What the Hell segment. 
Mine is super short. Shall I go first? Sure. Okay. What the hell, man? Um, an old roommate was a cop. This is a person telling a story. So I'll just pretend I'm that person. <laughs> My old roommate was a cop. He came home to tell me that an ATM was robbed, an after-hours ATM was robbed for fifth, exactly $15,240. She's laughing in my face. Exactly $15,240. I don't know how that happened. Yeah, right. Well, at least it was denominations of 20. It'd be really weird if it was. $15,231.50. Lies. Okay. So then the next day, the man who robbed the ATM deposited $15,240 into his, into his personal account at the bank. He, he robbed stole, the oh, night before. That's awful. <laughs> that's awful. Ah, what the hell? All right. What an idiot. Okay. <laughs> that's mine. Okay. You ready for the name of mine? <laughs> yes, please. It's called the peeing taxi. Oh, oh okay. The, the peeing. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah. Like piss. Did you have a question about that? No, I was thinking like, is the taxi peeing? Well, or is right. That- I mean, <laughs> I, yeah. I'm like grammar it's people. It's a double entendre. Eng- English people. Okay. Sexual ahead. fetishes are anything but unheard of, and some of them can actually be pretty weird. Mm. This taxi driver from Osaka, Japan, took his fantasy to a completely different level when he started drug... This is not funny, but... It, okay. He started drugging female passengers so they'd urinate in his taxi and fulfill his sexual de- desires. So first off, imagine the stench. Oh. Okay. Ugh. 41-year-old Toshiko Nishi, I don't know if I'm saying that right, reportedly laced crackers with diuretics and offered them to his female passengers. First of all, who goes, hey, do you want a cracker? Oh. What are you, a <laughs> From parrot? my taxi driver. Yeah, like, <laughs> get my, get my text. Would you like a cracker? I don't know. Maybe it's a delicacy that no. uh, type, I don't know. I'm, are you are you a little peckish? Would you yeah. like a cracker? Would you like a cracker with piss on it? Polly? Uh, with diuretics, not piss on it. With diuretics, oh, not That would have been fun. <laughs> you, you, upped, you upped it there. <laughs> I did. You when ramped it up enough. When passengers asked, he pulled over so they could use a restroom nishi allegedly refused the request instead insisting they relieve themselves then and there in the taxi and then they did i guess are uh, they locked in the taxi i don't know he was i guess he probably got a few that did it he eventually he was eventually arrested in may 2014 after being suspected of committing a violent act which stemmed from an october complaint filed by a passenger who said nishi wouldn't allow her to use a toilet Police went on to recover over 50 videos of women peeing themselves in his taxi. Oh, of his right. strange and gross crime, Nishi explained to police, I got excited by watching women trying to withstand the urge to urinate. Yeah. He probably didn't sound like that. It was probably That was in an Japanese. interesting little impression We're glad he this did. creepy tax driver has been taken <laughs> off the roads because no one should be violated to satisfy someone's sexual urges. No, uh, not unless it's consensual. What? the hell there's plenty of communities where you can do that sort of thing with permission so don't ever take a cracker from your taxi driver right and if you have that same fetish there are communities where you can act that out with consensual people i'm just playing this out like you get in the oh man you know what i could really use right now a A cracker A cracker. This one should have been called "What the fuck." Well, and the cracker's a little soggy because it's got some yeah diuretic on it. Yeah, maybe it dried up. Maybe it's oh, I don't know. I don't 
thank you for that. I don't. Visine <laughs> you should have, you should have diuretics in it. So he's at home prior, like preparing his saltines for. <laughs> <laughs> you little car sick. Here's a saltine. I know with some Visine on it. I I don't know. I don't, uh, know. I don't know what the hell. Crap. All right. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Now I'm never going to eat crackers the same way again. <laughs> and I'm certainly not taking a cracker from you. Please don't. I put diuretics cracker head on cracker. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Polly. Polly want a cracker. It's so weird. All right. I'm done with the cracker. King taxi. <clears throat> Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this show. Uh, we uh, Please come back for a shrink chat show on Friday. Uh, it's the end of January. So we're going to be talking all kinds of things January. And uh, yeah, come back and listen to us. Thank you so much for listening. This is Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. If you enjoyed this show, there are two things you could do for us. Subscribing and sharing our episodes on social media, as well as writing a review on iTunes. Plus, you could check out our Patreon page. Don't hesitate to contact us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We upload new episodes of Terror Talk every Wednesday and of Shrink Chat every Friday. Until then, goodbye and have a pleasant tomorrow.